0: I feel like every job I've had, I got in through the back door. I, you know, some people apply to jobs and get called in for interviews and get hired. That has never worked for me. (laughs) It's always been the lucky phone conversation that later leads to something.
1: Hello, I'm Eric Elkin. Wait a minute, I better give you my official title. I am Pastor Eric Elkin, the lead pastor at Advent United Methodist Church in Eagan, Minnesota. A couple of years ago, I created a podcast called Ordinary Voices. It was about inviting ordinary people into conversations about life and faith. I thought it would be interesting to share those conversations with others so together we could listen for the extraordinary stories dwelling inside every ordinary voice. About a year ago, out of the blue, I hit a creative wall and just stopped producing shows altogether. Then COVID hit. And our congregation needed to explore alternative forms of communication and alternative forms of connection. Some people in the congregation thought we needed to hear stories about people from Advent engaging in the world to let others know while our ability to meet in person is restricted, our impact on the world is not. So here we go. Ordinary Voices Returns. Just a reminder, guests on this show are not authorities. They're simply people willing to share with us the authenticity of their own thoughts. I try to provide the guests freedom to talk and let them determine the direction of the conversation and reflect upon the things I heard them say. Each show, I ask listeners to listen like a good camp counselor. Good camp counselors... Allow children to express themselves without judgment. They listen for what the camper is trying to say. People who listen tend to understand each other better. And we live in a world that is desperate for ears. My guest today understands listening. Actually, in listening to her, I realized how much I miss interviewing people for ordinary voices. But enough about me. Let's meet our guest.
0: Senorita. Oh, senorita. My name is Emily Bright Krusek, and I'm married to Matthew Krusek, and our daughters are Abigail and Elise, age eight and four. And we've been going to Advent for, I don't know, <laughs> I don't have the answer to that, a couple years. Yes, I work for NPR, Minnesota Public Radio.
1: If you saw Matt and Emily sitting in a church pew, worshiping at Advent, you'd probably assume they were Minnesotans, born and bred. I mean, come on, what's more Minnesotan than working at Minnesota Public Radio? (laughs) And Matt, like many people in our congregation, has a passion for canoeing in the Boundary Waters canoe area. The first time I looked at their family, I said, hmm. The women are strong, the men good-looking, and the children are definitely above average. <laughs> Yet, like all people, our personal stories are not always visible in a public setting. Emily's short introduction is like a church directory, names, ages, and job. The personal story, the part we cannot see, is not about how the Bright-Kruzak family got to Advent, but how Emily got to Minnesota Public Radio, and what we can learn by listening to her story. First of all, Emily is not a Minnesota native.
0: I was born in Texas. Yeah. So I noticed this pattern uh, looking at my family growing up that there seemed to be this habit of you go to college, you move somewhere new, you come back to New England. And so I've done everything but come back to New England. I am a New Englander. My parents did that. They, I was born in Texas. My sister was born in Alaska. Um, then my dad switched from working in oil to working in finance, and we moved to Connecticut where I lived from the time I was four. So I um, trained myself out of saying wicked and things like that in high school because I didn't want to sound tied to where I'm from. I never had a Boston or New York accent. I grew up a little closer to Boston. Uh, went to college at Williams College in Massachusetts. My junior year summer, I spent a summer in St. Louis and decided I really like the big blue skies of the Midwest. And I had been very involved with inter-varsity in college, and so there was a lot of talk about justice in the city and when I was in St. Louis, I had been working with Congolese refugees because I speak French. So I said, I want to uh, move to a city in the Midwest and work with refugees. So that ruled it down to um, Minneapolis and St. Louis, basically. So I moved to Minneapolis. <laughs> I knew one person who was my roommate, who's now godparent to my kids. I got a job through Vista. Which is a great first job out of college because if you can survive on the VISTA salary, anything else is a raise.
1: Emily references a couple of organizations people might not be familiar with. InterVarsity is a vibrant college campus ministry that, according to their website, establishes and advances witnessing communities of students and faculty. Vista is a program offered by AmeriCorps. It sends workers into communities facing poverty, inequality, and unemployment issues to help build organizational, administrative, and financial capacity. At least that's what the AmeriCorps website says. Emily gives us a little more detailed explanation of its services.
0: So I worked for... Hennepin County, their Office of Multicultural Services. So anyone who didn't speak English who needed any kind of assistance came to us. And I had these really multicultural – I mean, most of my colleagues had been refugees, so we had the best potlucks ever. And um, I also helped – spent part of my time at Minnesota Council of Churches teaching – orientation to america classes it was this week long class that people got when they first arrived in the country and i worked through an interpreter
1: before we make the next transition in the story i need to step back and let you hear about a prayer retreat it was a prayer retreat emily went on when she was a senior in college let's listen to her tell about it and why it was important
0: My senior year of college, I was really freaking out about what the future would hold because there were all of these options. It was where in the world do you want to live? And what in the world do you want to do? And I remember I had gone to a prayer retreat and my, and my prayer was, I can't figure out whether I want to be a poet or work with refugees. Like somehow these are mutually exclusive, but at the time, they, so I just, I was so hung up. I just couldn't figure it out. Well, and the answer that I got, because it's one of two times in my life, I feel like I've heard the voice of God and you know how the voice of God is not translatable. So I can't actually tell you exactly what it was, but it was basically, I got this. And um, so I ended up getting a job through Vista, and I said, hurrah, I have a job.
1: I Got This is not the same thing as go work for Vista. I Got This is letting Emily know God is with her, no matter what direction she does go. The presence of Christ is a source of calm and assurance, but that is not exactly a specific direction, something Emily will learn when all of a sudden, while working at Vista.
0: Four months later, I was desperately applying to grad school. <laughs> Applied all, all over the place for MFA programs for poetry and ended up getting in at the University of Minnesota, which turned out to be a very good program. And so that's what kept me in Minnesota for a little while at least. I have always been a writer. That is a core part of who I am. It is what I've always loved to do. Um, My mom would tell stories of how, you know, in third grade, they'd give an assignment saying, write a story. And it was really just a handwriting exercise. And they were hoping to get more than two sentences. And they would have to cut me off, be like, no, it's bedtime. I know you want to finish your story, but I will tell your teacher that you have, (laughs) you know, this was not the goal of this assignment. I know, I know. And I have always loved writing poetry. So an MFA in poetry seemed like a good natural step. You do not need an MFA to be a writer by any means. But I love the academic world. I am a curious person. I love that inquiry. And school has always made sense in my brain. It's something I've always done very well at. And so at That was the natural next step for me.
1: If you're listening and wondering, what is MFA? You're not alone. I kept thinking I missed something, but MFA stands for Masters of Fine Arts.
0: And during much of that time, I was still teaching those orientation classes. So I had to work my schedule around that. And so in the morning, I'd be talking about um here's how you ride the bus, and here is why the library is a wonderful resource, and here's how credit cards will get you, and I'm so sorry for our healthcare system. Then in the afternoon, we'd have these conversations in the classroom about, you know, the, the narrative arc and how I changes over the course of the collection and heady stuff like that. And so it was nice to have those two things as a balance. And what I couldn't have known then was eventually I would discover radio, and that would be one way to combine those two passions, the social justice and the writing and the arts, without that challenging question of, if I tell somebody's story myself— Am I ventriloquizing them? Am I taking away their agency, um, you know, translating it through me? And when you're in radio, you hold the mic up to somebody and you say, tell, your story, tell me your story. Then I will listen and I will help fit it into a neat, beautiful package, um, which feels true to what you've told me and um, amplify it into the world and it's all going to be your voice and but i you know it's like i couldn't have understood that you know if god had said well you're going to do this i've been like i'm not going to be a journalist i'm going to be a creative writer and so i got this is or whatever the you know that idea was the only answer i could have possibly understood and uh it may look different you know it could be a different answer down the line but this is where i am
1: Matt and Emily move from the Twin Cities to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. They move so Matt can finish an advanced degree in psychology. Emily ends up teaching some English courses at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, something she loved doing. But then Matt gets a job as a school psychologist, which takes them from Eau Claire to Eagle River, Wisconsin, practically in the Upper Peninsula. The environment changes professional options narrow. But still, there is this voice of God in the back of Emily's head saying, I got this in a spirit of exploration and learning.
0: So we moved up there and I said, I'm just going to focus on my writing. You know, I wrote and published a textbook for teachers with a co-worker. I worked on, I'd switched to novels by this point. I was, I was writing poetry, I was writing, working on a novel. And I, right about the time that we moved, or I found out that we were pregnant, and so I ended up being a mother-by-day, writer-by-nap time for a number of years. There wasn't a teaching opportunity there for me at the college level, and I really... I had wanted to get away, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that the path that I was on was not sustainable for me. And um, so, but it was, I, and I really wanted to be, we really wanted to have a parent who was raising our, our kids, and so, but my brain was really hungry, and I didn't know very many people at all uh, for quite a while, and so... I was listening to the radio, and I was listening to TED Talks. And the more I listened to the radio, where you have these multiple voices and these stories on – I was listening to NPR, to clarify, and Wisconsin Public Radio at the time. And I started thinking, well, this is storytelling. And this is it's just a different way of telling a story. I wonder – If this could be an opportunity, because the thing about creative writing, it is intensely competitive to publish, and it's intensely subjective, which is a terrible combination for the writer, especially since you have to have completed the entire project before you can send it out. You know, the rest of the writing world doesn't work that way. You uh, propose the idea, you You know, send some clips and then they say, okay, yes, I agree to pay you to write this piece. But no, no, you write the entire novel, you edit the entire novel, and then you edit it again and again, and then you send it out. So I ended up learning through a friend about Transom, um, which is all about getting more people into radio and taking a week long boot camp how to produce for radio. And it was fantastic. It was the longest I'd ever been away from my then 18 month old. So, you know, she stayed with Matt and her grandparents to to help balance out what mommy was doing. And um, I loved it. It is such a privilege to interview people. I don't in my normal body, in my normal self, I do not like cold calling people. I, um, you know, I love getting to know people, but there is something that happens when you put on headphones and a microphone. There is a permission to ask questions you might not ask otherwise, and people are willing to answer them, which is... And when you're talking to somebody, I mean, and you have the headphones on, their voice is in your ear, so it's this very intimate medium. I mean, radio, you know, TV is for the masses, radio is for one person multiplied by all listeners. And so I, I came back and I said, this is great. I'd really like to do this. Now What?
1: Listening to Emily describe the privilege of interviewing reminded me why I started Ordinary Voices in the first place and why the hard work was worth it. Maybe you don't have a microphone and a professional purpose to listen to someone's story, but it's still a privilege to listen. Truth is, when we listen to others, we are eventually heard ourselves. Next Emily has never had a conventional way of getting a job. She describes it as always coming in the back door. If you don't know what that means, let's listen to her describe it.
0: Um, So instead, I walked into the radio station and they said, oh, it's so nice to meet you. Yeah, we'd be interested in airing stuff. We have absolutely no money. And I thought about it and thought about it, and I called them back. And I said, okay, let's call this – they actually came up with an internship. So I said, I will produce one story a month for you for free for the next four or five months. I want your help finding stories, and I want you to edit them. I'd like to get better at this. And they said, great. So I did. And then eventually they actually found some money to do some freelancing. And then the woman who was the community editor left and I stepped into her position in WXPR Rhinelander with a a staff of seven. Um, And I was part time because I still, I was very insistent. Like, I still wanted to be able to do puzzles with my then three-year-old, and it was a big deal to put her into the Montessori school at all and not be with her 100% of the time.
1: Emily gets her feet wet at WXPR in Rhinelander, Wisconsin. But the time comes for Matt to make a change. But options in northern Wisconsin are limited, so they decided to move back to the Twin Cities but the radio bug is now in her soul
0: i had had my eye on npr for a long time because i loved listening to them when i lived in the area before and i i was trying to figure out how to get in and eventually was able to just kind of raise my hand as a newscaster and say you know i've done i did this at wxpr a little bit i know how to read the news and they really needed somebody, so I came in and just started doing like three or four day, three or four shifts a month, and just as someone else was taking vacation, if they needed an extra person, eventually that opened up into a job. See, I told you backstory. This I I only get in through the back door, <laughs> um, but I am so I'm the weekend host, um, one of two weekend hosts who I'm on Saturday and Sunday afternoons, and I have since I do some reporting work on the side, I produce two series that are on every week. One is Ask a Bookseller, where I get to call up independent bookstores all over the country and ask them to recommend a good book, which is super fun. And that airs on Saturday mornings. And I produce Art Hounds, which is on Thursdays. And for that, I Every week three different artists around the state recommend another person's art. And so it's no self-promotion. It's often I get to talk to people kind of doing their good deed for the week because it's all about celebrating someone else. I just saw I just saw the show and it was really great, you know. I have really been enjoying looking at this artwork. You know, I thought this music was really profound, and I think more people should know about it. So that's what I produce. I didn't create it at all. It's been around for 11 years. I'm the third producer who's worked on it. Um, And it's been a really neat thing to move into. So my work week is half arts and books, and with that, a good deal of looking at. Some, some looking at people, some finding people to talk to, and some looking at little waveforms of audio and putting them in the right order so they sound good. And half uh, listen, running the soundboard and listening to the news and reading, you know, assembling and reading the news on air, top of the hour, and weather and continuity and things like that. So I line up the people to talk to. I interview them, record it, and then I. So maybe I talk to somebody for 10 minutes and then edit that down into a minute and a half or a minute so that it sounds like it just came seamlessly out of their brain. I tell people it's my job to make them sound good. Okay.
1: Well, that seems like uh, that's not really a big deal, 10 minutes down to a minute and a half, but that's huge.
0: You get. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it is intensely time consuming. Um, you do learn to ask people to say things again sometimes, because it saves you an enormous amount of time and editing later. But there are absolutely times where you're just engaged in the conversation. And then you go back and listen and say, Oh, shoot, I didn't get this key piece of information.
1: The story of Emily's professional life began at a prayer retreat with the voice of God saying, I got this. Again, those words are not detailed directions about her life. She was, at the time, a young woman with dreams and passions. She had a passion for social justice, a desire to write creatively, and a trust in God. Now she is married, had children, and moved several times. She has served, learned, taught, played. So, begs the question, is she happy now with what she's doing?
0: I do enjoy what I'm doing. I um I really like having variety and I find that radio has a lot of the things that I liked about teaching, which is public speaking and connecting people with resources. And being in a space where ideas are being discussed and debated, those are things that I really appreciate. And it does, I mean, because my schedule is a bit varied week to week, I, um, I'm i able to fit in some writing too, and not every week, but I try, um, and just kind of... I have a reasonable work-life balance right now, which I really value because my kids are eight and four and they are currently, as of this week, um, the week before Thanksgiving, they've gone to distance learning. Right. Right. So um, it's, I really, I think we're going to look back on COVID years later and, you know, God willing, if we're spared from, you know, being sick or, or death and within our, our circle, I think one of the things that we will look back on is the intense quantity and quality of family time. Because there's not a lot of places to go. And uh, it's just a lot of time spent together as family.
1: Remember what brought Emily to Minnesota? A passion for social justice. So I asked her, does her passion for social justice get met anywhere in her current setting?
0: That is a good question. It does to some extent. There's always more that I could do. I am very aware of the fact that I live in the suburbs, which... And I feel like I should be living in the city and I should be seeing more, you know, I don't see a lot of need around me. I mean, I see like emotional need, but I don't see if there are people who are, are very worried that they're not going to make their next check, their next mortgage payment. I don't see it. You know, if there are a lot, I mean, there's, there are a lot of, you can, people can have a lot of problems in the suburbs, but you just might not see it because everyone has their own space. Um, So, I mean, one thing that I do try to, I would say that when I was a stay-at-home mom, I wasn't meeting that need. And uh, now I have more opportunity in that I can be very purposeful about what who what kinds of arts and what kinds of um books I promote um and be aware that equity means that you need to turn up the mic louder for people who in the past weren't allowed to access the mic at all and so but I mean But that's just the state of arts right now in general is there art is such an amazing opportunity to talk about social justice and to talk about race and to talk about all sorts. I mean, art can get right to the heart in a way that other conversations can't. And so it's kind of a natural way to continue to put a number of important topics on the air under the sneaky guise of art, you know I so there's a there's a ceramic artist in Plymouth, for example, who uh, his friend died by suicide and he made the this rainflower garden project, for example, and he made these individual ceramic flowers and they were each unique and they, the number corresponded with the number of people who die by suicide each year. but it's this beautiful, happy looking, garden and so in talking to him I can talk about mental health and well-being and point people toward resources but I'm also talking about art and it's pretty flower so and I don't I'm not being devious I mean he's the one doing all the work I'm just holding up the mic and saying look look what he's doing but there are a lot of people doing amazing work
1: I asked Emily to share some of her favorite and most memorable stories and this is how she responded
0: Actually, when I was producing stories in northern Wisconsin, I talked to some amazing artists. I talked to a chainsaw artist, oh, really? a guy who carved statues by chainsaw. I talked to a premier violin maker who lived on a lake in the middle of the woods and got to see what, it, what it went into making violins. And, uh, luthier, I think is, I think is the word. Um, and the very first story I ever did was a man who made harps and I picked him because harps make sound and I knew I needed sound in radio and so <laughs> I was strategic. Um, but he, their, um, their son, they were an older couple and their son had died And she, the way that she found any kind of solace, she started making a bunch of beautiful quilts, and she was learned to play the harp, because it's this instrument that you hold right up against your heart, and it reverberates as you play. And she found it soothing, and she started going in as uh, playing in hospitals to provide therapy for others. And her husband, who is very mechanically minded, said, you know, I've made a bunch of furniture harp is I can make a bed I can make a harp and so he became and so he started making these beautiful harps you know it's somebody who's that talented they make it sound easy and so that was the very first story that I ever did
1: the final question I posed to Emily was whether she could ever see this radio gig getting old her answer is something we should all take to heart
0: It's such a privilege to get to listen to people telling you their stories. Right. And it's, I don't think that would ever get old. Right. Because if you're talking with somebody about something they're passionate about, that comes through in their in their voice. Right. And so that, I think, yeah, I think that will... I don't know. I'm guessing that that will always be fun. I can't picture that not ever being interesting.
1: Emily has a passion for writing poetry. In one of the clips that didn't make it into the interview, she likened editing a show to writing poetry. I don't possess any great interest in poetry, at least not when I was younger. Though as I listened to our conversation, the comparison remained fresh in my mind. So I googled definition of poetry to see what I would come up with. One sentence in the description I found jumped out at me. In poetry, words are strung together to form sounds, images, and ideas that might be too complex or abstract to describe directly. I assume when Emily writes poetry, she is in control of forming the images and ideas that she wants to communicate. She searches out the words that will not only help her describe a complex or abstract idea, but will also speak to her audience's experiences of the world. In an interview, the people she listens to are the words. Their lives provide the sounds, the images, and the ideas. Emily's job, in the poetry of listening, is to authentically hear the words and the people so she can weave them together in a way that resonates with the audience and remain true to those who are speaking. Thinking about it, Emily's life is a living poem, and so is yours. The poem that is being formed in her is ever being shaped by listening to God and to the people of God. Let me end the show this way, with these words from the first chapter of James, from Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. So, my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of life cascading down from the God of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. God brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as a crown of all his creatures. So, dear friends... Lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger strangle along in the rear. Thank you for listening. That's our show. I want to thank Emily for sharing, and I want to thank you for listening. In the days ahead, lead with your ears. You just may discover a great story. If you don't find a great story, you can always find one at Advent United Methodist Church. You can join us for online worship on our YouTube channel, Advent UMC Egan. Or check out other Ordinary Voices interviews and offerings on the website website, ordinaryvoices.org. Now on behalf of all Ordinary Voices, thanks for listening, and I look forward to the next conversation.